right, cool. Great. It's, I mean, at this point, it's just like, fuck me. It's fine. It's fucking fine. We've had enough. We've had enough. Yep. It's been enough. Hi, friends. As you just heard Andrea mention, we had quite the week and more than a few technical difficulties in getting this episode out. But here we are. So you may notice the sound quality, especially Andrea's side, is a little rough this episode. Thanks for nothing, Apple. But the wine is great and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. And sticking with today's theme, I'm Drea, and I like to feel cheap, but look expensive. And I'm Anne, and I'm sweaty. I feel like that also sticks with today's theme. Well played, well you played. You know, the bottle's going to be sweaty when it gets out of the fridge, so. Fair. And we're still going to be sweaty. Yes, we will. But... Happy 10th episode, Anne. We did it. We Yay. made it to 10. We're in the double digits, girl. <laughs> so if you have all been enjoying these last 10 episodes of Two Girls and a Grape, now some time to show us some love. So follow, subscribe, give us a nice little shout out, send us a DM, leave a review, only if it's a nice review, send us free wine. I mean, really, whatever your heart tells you to do to appreciate us, you're welcome. And we appreciate you right back. So thanks for listening. Yeah, this has been a good time. So we've got a really fun episode to celebrate our 10th, our, our double digits here. Ooh, I just had a great idea, though. When we get to 15, we're going to call it our quince, and we're going to drink another Mexican wine. Yes! Delightful. <laughs> oh, the dream. Now we have to get to quince. So it is time for our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. God, I have a lot of jeers this week, but it's, it's been hard to choose. But let's start with you. What, what have you got for us? What are you cheersing and jeersing? What are we drinking to? This week, I am cheersing to therapy. Fuck yeah. Therapy. It has been a hell of a year, people. And there is no shame in the therapy game. If you need it, if you want it, if you're wondering maybe if it would help you, maybe cope with some of the anxiety about the world opening up, but also still being risky, but also you've been stuck inside for the last 18 months, you know, hey, try therapy. Therapy. It comes recommended from this wine podcast you listen to. Probably if you listen to podcasts, you hear a lot of ads for therapy. I'm not saying use any particular company. I'm just saying maybe try therapy. Therapy. It's what's for dinner. It should be what's I for mean, dinner. I can't even tell you how many people like in the last 18 months I've been like, hey, have you thought about going to therapy? I have no shame in just being like, bitch, get your shit together. Get it together. To me, it is right up there with like, have you been to the dentist recently? Have you been to the doctor recently? Have you talked to a mental health professional? Right up there. It's just good hygiene. I mean, so yes, those things are important, but let's put it in a, a different context that 
you know, maybe some other bitches will understand. Have you gone to the gym? Have you gotten your eyebrows done? Did you get a manicure last week? Yeah, it's all maintenance. It's all maintenance. And you you can't go just once. I want to be clear. Can't go just once. It's a continual process. Just like, you know, wax your eyebrows, they grow back. Yep. So if you're out there getting your uh, post-quarantine haircut, if you've gone back to the salon and gotten your nails done or your eyebrows done, you know, maybe go get your mind done. Get some therapy. You know what? Therapy is the post-COVID glow-up. True. It's true. And jeers this week to climate change. I don't know if you've noticed, but the entire world is on fire. The ocean is on Girl, fire. California. The ocean is on fire. California is on fire. Everything's on fire. And if it's not on fire, it is like torrentially raining. And then it's about to be on yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. So jeers to that. And more specifically, I really want to jeers to the corporations and the government officials who act like climate change is about individual responsibility and plastic bags. Like, plastic bags are not what is causing the ocean to be on fire right now. What's causing the ocean to be on fire right now is corporations spilling oil into the ocean. The reason that the climate is changing is not because you forgot to recycle, you know, your paper and your plastic separately. This is about large-scale collective responsibility. So if you're wondering what you should be doing, you should be calling your representatives. You should be thinking about how you vote and voting for the future that you want. It's not, you know, it's nice if you want to recycle. It's important. But what really matters is how do we create collective change? So cheers to climate change, cheers to corporations, and cheers to voting. Drea, what about you? Down with all of that. So let's see. Uh, it's man, it's been a crazy couple of weeks. It's just been I, most of it is my own fault. But I mean, um, so I think are. the last forty-eight hours are not <laughs> your fault. Maybe. <laughs> we'll we'll see what they tell me at the Apple Store. So, all right. So, cheers. Um, my cheers is very wholesome this episode. Cheers to my dad. When this episode airs, um, we'll actually be celebrating his birthday. And we, I have been, I should say, collecting some lovely wines for the occasions. We make a really nice dinner. We're going to do a nice flight of some wines that we've picked out over the last couple months. And I just want to say, Dad, happy birthday. And thank you for literally teaching me how to drink. <laughs> and be the garbage person I am today. But you're also the best dad ever. So I'm lucky to have you and we're gonna have a great time. I have been so lucky to get to drink with you and your dad at one time. It is <laughs> some of the most fun, some of the most danger, but some of the most fun I've ever had. It's it's not for the faint of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> So I'm, I'm sure we're going to be getting after it this weekend a little bit. And then my jeers is nowhere near as important as Anne's, but it was just something that pissed me off. So my jeers is to motherfucking motherland Russia and their attempt to heist the champagne name from France. So if you read, if you're up on wine news, Russia just declared that in Russia, you could only label something as champagne if it was produced in what? Russia. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Russia, you're drunk. Stop it. 
You can't even make a good vodka. Your leader is a half insane naked murderer. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> so yeah, the pro tip, go find a French vodka. They're way better. But um, yeah, so there's this whole like legal thing. We've talked a little bit about like appellations on the show and how Champagne, for example, is a historic appellation. Only sparkling wines that are produced in Champagne, France can be referred to as Champagne. That's why if you buy a California sparkling, it's a California sparkling. If you buy an Italian sparkling, it's a Prosecco, a Spanish, it's a Cava, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. But Russia's just like, nah, we're Russia. We're going to do what we want. I don't know why I'm surprised. Like, none of this behavior is surprising, but it's also just ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. And it was just annoying to me, but... That is insane. I had not heard about this. And I'm like, I'm not even sure how it how does it work? Like, how do you it doesn't it doesn't it's like in my apartment, I have declared just like, knock it off. (laughs) Oh, I want to it's like, give me the metaphor. (laughs) It's like in my apartment, I have declared that zucchinis are bananas. And the only bananas that exist can be, you know, tasteless, bland, green vegetables from the squash family. That is now what a banana is. Like, how do you enforce that? To whom do you talk to about this? Where, <laughs> where is the legal? Yeah, I. so again, I, I feel like these the this simile is very close to what's actually happening. Although I did not know you had such strong feelings, adverse, strong, adverse feelings about zucchini. I love a zucchini. I just don't call it a banana. Okay. And two, I feel like Scott, who you share said apartment with, would be also like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We are not doing this, which is kind of where France is like and there and it's, you know, Russia's so I don't think we have any listeners in Russia. So I'm not going to worry about offending people. I also do not care because I'm an offensive person. But like, they're just making shit up, right? And France is just like, enough enough with this we have some dignity stop and russia's like nah, 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 nah. we can do what we want so yeah um there's a bunch of articles out about it right now like you can google it if you want to learn more but it's just ridiculous it's just ridiculous but at some point in the not so distant future on the podcast someone needs to remind me to tell the story about the russian han solo i encountered at the bar in barcelona because that is actually less annoying and more entertaining <laughs> so there you go the last good thing to come out of russia <laughs> was russian han solo oh i don't think he was a good thing to come out of russia <laughs> it was an entertaining thing but not necessarily a good thing so yeah, there are cheers and jeers. There we go. <laughs> All right, should we get into shenanigans? Let's get into some shenanigans. So as you all recall, last episode, we let everyone know that we were soliciting questions from you, our loyal listeners, for our 10th episode. So thank you to everyone who submitted questions. They were rad. We have picked 10 of what we had deemed the most appropriate and a few that are like mildly inappropriate which i think will be a fun mix up for this crowd and yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into it so you ready for this i'm ready i i do have to say there is a reoccurring theme like people are really into our lady romance that we have going which I've got to love. I'm into our lady romance. I am too. I, I love that people want to know more about all this 
Aww. Let's give the people what they want. Question one. How did two girls in a grape meet? And what was the first bottle of wine you drank together? So here is my recollection. We have a mutual friend who thought that we would be just, I mean, who could see the love writing on the wall. And so he kind of set us up on this friend blind date and we went out for drinks together. And I can't remember, I'm sort of fuzzy on my timelines. I feel like maybe we had already started kind of hanging out together in book club. And that was kind of how we got to know each other. And then he really pushed us to like, no, but seriously, be friends outside of book club. So yeah, we we met through a mutual friend and, and our love of books. That's basically it. I think that the people deserve some of the more nuanced details, though. So just so everyone knows like what kind of bullshit they're dealing with when it comes to us. The book club we were in was a Songs of Fire and Ice book club, the, you know, the Game of Thrones books. And yup, nerd alert, hardcore nerd alert. Uh, so those are the books we were reading in this book club. And Anne and I, despite the fact that she's clearly the nicer one of the two, are really similar in our introverted weirdo ways. And so I would say we spent solidly the first midway through the second book of that series sizing each other up, being like, does this bitch like me? What's going on here? And then uh, this mutual friend was like, you hoes are so dumb. Go be friends. And we were like, oh, yeah, look, we're friends. Great. That's my recollection of this. Yeah, it was very much like a middle school passing notes situation of does she like me? Check yes or no. So I was looking back at my emails earlier today to sort of try to track like the beginning of our friendship, because for some reason, I thought it would be an email. Unfortunately, it was not. But the earliest email that I have from you is actually from the winter Christmas themed Game of Thrones party that you threw for book club, which was still to this day. Yeah, still to this day, the best Christmas party I have ever been to. I mean, when Drea says that she loves a theme, she delivers on that theme. I love a theme. I somehow pinned crows to the vaulted walls of my loft for that party. (laughs) I remember I had one of my friends on like a step stool on a chair. He was like, I'm going to die. I was like, probably, but look how good it's going to look. There were candles everywhere. There were snacks, the best thematic snacks, obviously. We did like an ornament painting contest, which is still one of my favorite ornaments to this day. Everyone gave a gift that was related to the books. And I got that's that's where I got my Brienne of Tarth Funko Pop, which I think maybe you gave me. Yeah, I was your, I was your secret septa. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, after that, after being my secret septa, the the love on my side was secure. Yeah, that I mean, that kind of sealed the deal, I feel like. Yep. And in terms of the first ball of wine we drank together, I'm just going to keep it entire, entirely real with everyone. It was probably something shitty that someone brought to book club. It wasn't fancy. <laughs> it was some, you know, $6 Trader Joe's, whatever, whatever. That's what we drank. And it was great. It was book club. It was great. I have no, yeah, no it regrets. Fine. It was fine. <laughs> so we, we do 
drink a lot of kava together now. Though. Yeah, I feel like that's like our go to. That's our that's our signature move. So we have a very similar question came all the way from a listener in Sweden. And I, I love the phrasing of this question, too. It's so what was the step moment, lady date, slow burn, etc. that helped take your adult friendship to the next level? So we've talked about like our, our kind of first friend date, but do you remember what we did? Do you remember what we drank? Do you remember? So I, what do you remember? I am pretty sure that we went to a restaurant called Trellux. Am I pronouncing that right? In La Jolla where you were living. No. Well, whatever, then you can true luck, true lux, um, <laughs> where you were living at the time. And I remember just sort of like, sitting out they had kind of a patio I think there might have been like a fire pit or something or maybe that's just like me remembering the golden light in your eyes uh and we just sort of like definitely the fire pit. <laughs> we just sort of talked books and you know talked sort of travel and things that we liked it was very very much like a first date feeling and I remember us drinking kava there but you said we didn't I deny this. Trulux was heavy into my bourbon phase of life. And their happy hour was legendary. I went once a week because I lived right across the street. That was like the height of my Manhattan days. I am pretty sure. I mean, I must have had some kind of wine because I did not have a Manhattan phase. And then I was thinking about it. I was thinking about this question. And I actually feel like we've gotten a lot closer over the last year during quarantine. I don't know if you feel this way. But I think one, like, so I had moved and we were still in like pretty good touch. But I think during quarantine, we really set up the routine of like, no, we're just going to have like a standing date together on Friday nights. And if someone needs to move it, that's fine. But like, it sort of took out the like, the effort of like, oh, we have to plan something. It's like the plans are there. The plans are the default. Also, I feel like in quarantine, everyone just sort of really prioritized the people and the things that actually mattered. And so there you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, this this is important to me. This is time I'm going to set up for for us to continue our love fest. So I think that that's definitely part of it. I also think, though, for me, our time in Barcelona together yeah. was really pivotal. Yeah, I agree. So I was there to renew my vows, vows with my husband, and and Anne came for the, the ceremony and the shenanigans. And I was like, well, and I know we're I'm doing this romantic thing over here, but I also think you and I should just plan our future together. So there we are. I think it was also like you were renewing your vows right at the time that I was moving. And I think for me, going on that trip with you and being there for you when you renewed your vows was like like making an investment in our in our relationship and in our friendship that it was like I want this is a priority I will I will prioritize this in my plans and my travel because you're important to me (laughs) all right so so we've given the people what they want a little bit about about us and about our history together and now here we just here we are chugging wine now we've got some some whiny type oh, that didn't sound right some some wine-esque wine related questions so let's dive into those okay so someone asked us uh when we're gonna feature an italian wine so that's interesting because that was actually up for grabs this episode that was one of the ones we considered we ultimately went with a portuguese wine 
that we're going to talk about later, but um, we definitely need to do an Italian wine for sure. Yep. And do you have any Italian wines that you are itching to try or that you like? Well, it's actually the answer to another question. So should I save it? Oh, okay. Okay, fine. Save it. Be that way. More to come, our Italian wine friend. This is a question I really relate to. So I appreciate whoever asked this. Even though I always thought red wine should be enjoyed at room temperature, what red wines are best with a slight chill to them? And this is a great question because literally the only way that I know is I now I just text Drea and I'm like, should I chill this or not? So yeah, like red wines are, I think that the the claim is always like, oh, you want to serve them at room temperature. One, it depends on the temperature of your room, right? If you're, you know, got a nice wine temperature controlled cellar, or you live in a place like San Francisco, sure, sure, sure. If you live in Phoenix and you're cheap and don't want to drop your AC down below 78, bad move. So the first is always like, what are you defining as room temperature? Two, when you have a red wine, the warmer it is, you're going to taste more of that alcohol and tannins. So this is especially important for some of your bolder reds. Um, when you're thinking like a Cabernet, a Sangiovese, stuff like that, you know, your heavier, higher alcohol content reds, the warmer they are, the less fruit you're going to taste and the more alcohol you're going to taste. So even those you want to, you know, serve them maybe in the low 60s, but your lighter reds, things like a nice Gamay or a Pinot Noir, you can definitely put a little, the little chill on those bad boys. A Gamay especially is a, is a great red for summer because there's a lot of big red fruit. They're super juicy and they're always a little nice with a, with a chill on them. And then if you just want to go full chilled, you know, get yourself a Lambrusco or something that's a sparkling fizzy red. And those are definitely meant to be chilled as well. Uh, another red wine that I chilled that does have, you know, stronger tannins is like a carbonic. So something that's, you know, gone through that maceration process. Uh, there is a Liston Negro that I, a carbonic Liston Negro that I love out of the Canary Islands. I always put a little chill on that to bring out that fruit and that minerality that those soils are known for. So yeah, it, they, it, you can definitely chill certain reds and you're going to bring out those better flavors in those reds. Yeah, that's what I got. Love it. Oh, I think this is a great question for you because you probably have a better relationship with your boss. What wine should I gift my boss? So when I read this question, I had another question in response, which is just, who is your boss? <laughs> what is your boss like? You know, is your boss a red wine drinker, white wine drinker? Does your boss like, you know, something that's fruit forward? Does your boss like something that is a little bit more relaxed? Um, when I think about my boss, who I do think about when I think about drinking wine, um, in a good way, in a good way. I know she likes a red. I know she likes um, something pretty fun. So there was a bottle that I've had with another friend called Nygar 10. 
Um, and it is an Italian wine, so I would also recommend us oh. drinking this one. Um, it's made of Negretino grapes, and it is a carbonic, like you were just talking about. I think it is super fun, super tasty, uh, and I feel like my boss would really enjoy it. So I hope I get to see her in person again one day and maybe give her this, give her this bottle of wine. Um, but whether or not your boss would like this wine... Who can say? Who can say? And so um, I do think that it matters, you know, in some ways it's like, okay, well, who's your boss? What do they like? What do they don't like? Um, but there may be cases where you don't know yeah. that, right? Um, same, like, I think that this is a similar question to like, oh, I'm meeting my significant other's parents for the first time. Yeah. What do I bring? Or I'm going to a dinner party with people I don't know, you know, or I only know the host or hostess. What do I bring? And I have kind of two methods for approaching this, this issue or this conundrum. And so the first is to, to play it safe, right? There are certain wines I think that you can take to an event or gift that are always appropriate and always appreciated. So one is a sparkling doesn't, you know, you don't have to go like Dom Perignon style or anything, but like, you know, a nice sparking from a reputable seller. That's really an all occasion wine. You know, it's, it's impressive, bubbly. It's fun. They can serve it with food. They can drink it by itself. Um, it can be celebratory. It's festive, right? So that's that's one that's always, I think, a nice gift option. Another one is a crowd pleaser wine. You know, Pinot Noirs, for example, are very much in that vein. Like they're an easy drinking wine. They tend to be more on the delicate side. So they're going to appease both red wine drinkers and white drinkers. It's it's hard to go wrong with a really solid Pinot Noir. So that's kind of the, the what I call the safety net. Then the other approach is to surprise them and be a little bit more playful about it. So then this is the approach I tend to take more. I really love gifting unique wines that I know that the recipient probably wouldn't find or try on their own. This works though, one, because I have, you know, a fair amount of, of wine knowledge under my belt. So I can kind of distinguish between, you know, what, what people are probably drinking and what I think they might like better. <laughs> so like if someone, if I know someone's a Chardonnay drinker, I get them an orange wine, I get them a skin contact white that's got all the things that they like about a Chardonnay and all the things I hate about a Chardonnay not there. So, you know, I, I try and surprise them in that way or I'll get that and if they like a Sauvignon Blanc. I'm going to try and find something that's much more mineral forward and rich. So um, I like to, you know, give unexpected varietals. I really love to gift natural wines. I like to gift wines from places outside of where I currently am. And so, for example, you know, here in the States, I love to find really great Spanish wines, Mexican wines, Greek wines. And then when I travel, you know, my friends down in Mexico, I'll bring them California wines, I'll bring them Spanish wines, my friends in Spain, I'll, I'll, I'll bring them California wines, Mexican wines, something special that they may not be able to get where they are. So that's another approach for gifting that you could do too. 
Yeah, I also like to give wine based on place, but I, I think I approach it a little differently. I like to give wine either that is like from a place that we share or like if I'm visiting someone somewhere, then to give them a wine that I know is like something that they could go back to. Like maybe it's an urban winery that that I don't know if they've tried or not, um, but just something that like kind of expands the horizons, but also is something that tells them something a little bit more about where they're from or a place that we share. I like that too. Yeah. What is your favorite brunch wine? So I love a cava or a sparkling rosé. I just, if it sparkles, I'm, I'm into it as a brunch wine. I think if we're having like a later brunch, like more of a 2 p.m., is it really brunch? But yes, it is. Then I think going for a pet nat or a, a rosé would be a great choice. You know this about me already. I actually prefer a, a Bloody Mary is my drink of choice at brunch. So given the choice between wine and a Bloody Mary, I'll probably go for a Bloody Mary. I am a firm, like, sparkling person for brunch. I love it. I know that makes me a basic bitch. I do not care. Um, I will drink a rosé, though, uh, at brunch. In the in cooler months, I like a good, like, skin contact, white, a heavier white, something with uh, more body, a velvety texture. I've also been known to do, like, a nice Lambrusco at brunch. Those bubbles are really nice. So uh, this last weekend I was at brunch and I had, I, I had a cava. Yeah. But the weekend before that I had a pet nap. So, you know, we like to mix it up sometimes. Yeah. This next question comes from someone who is very sweet and they said, I love your cultural pairings. What wine would you pair with an adult reread of Harry Potter? Um, thank you for specifying adult reread. We do not support underage drinking on this podcast. All of the wine is for the adults in the room. Kids don't deserve it. If you if you have them in the room right now, they're probably one of the reasons you drink. So there you go. <laughs> so Drea, I had a really hard time with this question. What would you drink? This is hilarious. This weekend all of the movies were on TV and I stood up on Saturday to like one 30 in the morning to watch some of these. And you know, it's, I can't help myself, but like with the first book, I would say like a nice, like a, like a gamay, something fun and juicy and lighthearted doesn't take itself too seriously. But then we get to like book four and book or book five, let's say, and it gets real, real. Like now we're talking. I want. I need an aged tempranillo. I need something that's got a lot of structure, a lot of tannins. Is a little dark and brooding, you know, kind of like the film and the book. So I think it's a book by book, bottle by bottle situation. There is apparently a winery in Paso Robles that is making um, themed Harry Potter wines. It is called Serrano. Shut your mouth. I'll send you Shut the link. Shut your mouth. This is a nice looking label. They have one that's called Patronus. They have one called Liquid Luck. Knox, uh, Horcrux. I mean, Stop it. I feel like we have to firebolt. Stop it. We got to get on this. I am going, I'm going to be in Pasarola's again in August and it is so on. I'll send you, I'll send you the link. I gotta go everyone. Bye. Oh, I already found it. Don't you worry. (laughs) I am on top of this. I have a phone. I know how to use it most of the time. 
Oh my God. Um, so yeah, uh, listeners stay tuned and we'll let you know if this wine, uh, holds up to your question for sure. We'll be reporting back. So Drea, do you offer tasting seminars? I do not. We, we do not, I should say. Well, I don't think anyone thought that I did, but yes, we, we collectively, neither of us does. We are a pair. We are a duo. We are a gruesome twosome. A drunken duo, gruesome twosome. You know, I was actually just down in Valle de Guadalupe. and met a lovely, lovely couple who were very nice at dinner. And uh, they asked me the same thing. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a novel idea. I feel like if that is something that the listeners want, we could do a little, a little zoomy zoom, possibly. So maybe stay tuned might be in the works. Our next question is, where is the next place you want to drink together? I think the next place we probably will drink together is going to be on your couch. I think that is what the future holds for us. In terms of where I want to drink with you, I'd love to go back to Spain. I cannot wait until we are ready for another international trip. And just just to be super clear with everyone, I want to drink with Anne literally everywhere. I don't care. I just want to go have a good time. Speaking of good times, what is the most wine drunk you have ever been? This is our last question, by the way. Oh man, that's a that's a dirty evil question. I there have been two that have been pretty pretty gnarly. The first one was I used to throw a party every Memorial Day weekend that I called Smutty Slummer. And it was, again, there was always a theme. So we would do full on like food and cocktail pairings. And this one particular year, the theme was like we had tacos and we had different like cocktails to go with each of the different tacos. One of the cocktails was like a sangria, my special sangria that I call the Spanish American War. And I think I got either tired or drunk and was like, I'm not going to make more of this. I'm just going to open up wine. And so we just started drinking wine. And I mean, <laughs> I was a grown ass woman, but at one point, my mother, <laughs> my parents were at this party. She was like, uh, like I grabbed another bottle to open up with my wine key and she literally took it out of my hands and was like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> she mommed the shit out of me. <laughs> so yeah, I am feel super great the next day. <laughs> but there we are. So smutty slumber strikes again. And then the, the second one was actually not that long ago. <laughs> I, I had a couple girlfriends over, um, for dinner and wine and I love these ladies so much they are so much fun but all of us are always down for another bottle do you know what I mean so there's really no checks and balances it's just a fucking free-for-all and we just kept opening bottles and the last one we opened was kind of a sweeter red it was it was you know more commercially produced it wasn't typically what I would drink and uh I was so hideously sick I was apparently when you like drink the good shit and a lot of natural wines like don't don't do that to your body especially at the end of a six bottle evening don't do that 
How, how about you? <laughs> My story also involves some family. I was staying with an aunt and uncle. Um, my aunt and uncle, and not just a random aunt and uncle. Anyway, I was staying with my aunt and uncle. <laughs> random aunt. <laughs> Somebody's aunt and uncle. <laughs> Who took you in for the night and gave you one. I was staying with my aunt and uncle, and we had, like, there was, like, no excuse. It was, like, a weeknight. It was the three of us, and we had some wine with dinner. One bottle turned into two bottles. Two bottles turned into four bottles. We stayed up so late I mean just talking and telling family stories and also sort of like they were giving me life advice and sort of like what does the future hold blah 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 anyway eventually go to bed stumble our way to bed and I very very politely put a trash can next to my bed which was good but not enough because at some point (laughs) At some point, I got up in the night and went to the bathroom, and they had a carpeted bathroom, which is just a mistake to start with. And I projectile vomited all over the walls, all over the carpet. It looked, and it was red wine, like it was mostly red wine. So it looked like a bloodbath. cleaned it up as best I could in my like drunken half asleep state and the next that's always the worst when you try and clean it up because you know deep down it's only making it worse yep it's not enough it's not good (laughs) no anyway go to clean it up clean it up a little bit go back to bed I'm like I'll deal with this in the morning in the morning I woke up Right before a shift at the place that I was waitressing, I was so hungover. I could barely stand. I thought I was going to puke in the parking lot. Made it through my shift. Not the best service anyone's ever gotten from me. Got home and I had like left the guest bathroom door shut, right? Thinking that, okay, they don't go in here. I I will deal with this. She had, for some reason, my aunt had, for some reason, like, gone in looking for something. I mean, probably she just smelled it and then, you know, saw the bloodbath. So that was, that turned me off red wine for a long time. There is nothing fucking worse than being wine sick and wine hungover. It is the worst hangover you will ever get. Yeah. It is terrible. Yeah, it's so awful yeah well I I thought I was bad when I realized the next morning I had sort of thrown up on the shower curtain but no this is worse worse. and on that note you ready to drink some more (laughs) ready (laughs) so like we said at the top of the episode this is our 10th episode and it's our under 10 special. The reason that we picked this wine is that it comes in at a very nice price point under $10 and still gives you a lot of bang for your buck. This is the Sol Real Vino Verde 2020 White Blend and Drea and I kind of debated between a few different options that we thought would be good for this episode and ultimately decided that we wanted to have a wine 
that was either coming from Italy or Portugal. This wine comes from Portugal and I can't wait to find out more about it. I actually was the one who went to the wine store and picked out the bottles and decided what we were gonna drink. Thank you, thank you. I'm very proud. Uh, and really what, what kind of drew me to this was it sounded very good for summer, very fresh, very refreshing. And honestly, I just kind of liked the orange label. So I kept it, kept it close to my roots. Well, I think you've done exceptionally well here. You know, I immediately thought that this was not only a really good value wine, but it would be something that would be really representative of the Vino Verde region. So I've actually been to this region of winemaking in Portugal and went to a number of the wineries and I was just amazed at the care and the finesse that the wines were made with and for them to still be able to offer wines at that price point. I was out at one vineyard and this place was amazing. It was all organically farmed. There were fresh wild strawberries growing between the vines. There were goats, you know, tending the garden by munching on the sweet grass. It was such a beautiful place. And I I bought a rosé while I was there because I went to pay and he said, oh, you know, cash or uh, credit. And I said, well, you know, how much is it? This bottle was six euros, which is, you know, equivalent to about maybe 750 here. And I just like my jaw dropped. It's there's such exceptional values. And it was like this everywhere. I mean, everywhere I drank while I was in Porto, the wines were incredibly well-priced and incredibly delicious for the price point. And even beyond the price point, they're just, they're just good wines, you know? So uh, this one is, yes, about $9. And one of the first things I noticed when I was inspecting the label is that the ABV or alcohol by volume on this bad boy is 9.5%. That is extremely low for wine. And what that tells me is, one, this is highly summer appropriate. Two, it is what I like to classify as a porch pounder. You're just going to be able to drink this puppy all day long while you're sitting out on your deck or on your porch or the park or wherever it is you are getting after your your summer fun. So let's talk about what we're dealing with. And I am going to apologize to anyone out there who is Portuguese, speaks Portuguese, because I am probably going to completely jack this up. So this is a white blend, and a lot of the, the wines you see from this region are, in fact, blends. This particular blend, and one of the reasons I'm, uh, again, really glad that you picked this one is because it is super representative of the, the region, because all three of these grapes are grapes that are kind of indigenous to that area. Um, north of Porto. So the first is Loriro, which is, or Loriro, which is, it's 35% Loriro, 35% Arinto, and 30% Trajadora. So um, give it your best Spanish Portuguese accent. Uh, yeah, it's real bad. I'm so sorry. Please don't hate me. So uh, those are the three grapes that are in the glass. The Loriro is the most widely planted grape variety in the region, in Vino Verde. And it grows and is cultivated all over the region. 
Um, it is considered like a cooler coastal climate grape. That region does have a nice kind of temperate, very similar to what you would find in like uh, California's central coast, I would say. It grows very well in the coastal regions of Portugal. You can also find this grape, though, in Spain, too, um, although it's less common. And so it's a light skin, skin grape. And the name, Loriro, which I am now making sound like fucking sidekick from Scooby-Doo, um, means laurel. Uh, and it translates to the laurel flower scent that's often found in this particular wine, which is which tends to be really aromatic. So you're going to have that like floral background. Uh, the scrape is also naturally high in acidity and low in alcohol. So it's really common to see it as a blending grape. You do find some single varietal bottles, but it is primarily used as a blender. Okay, and then the Arinto, the second grape that's in the glass, is another very versatile grape that's grown throughout most of Portugal's wine regions. So from the north in Vino Verde down to the south, the entire country really produces wines, much like California and Spain, the soils, the climates, that Mediterranean um, breeze, that Atlantic coast is just really great for, for growing conditions. So this one tends to also have kind of a nice bright acidity, uh, tends to be a bit more lively in terms of flavor palette, and has some of that minerality that we've talked about before on the show. So you're going to get kind of that, that mineral feeling um, with this grape, but it's also pretty fruit forward. A lot of times this grape is associated with flavor notes of apple, lime, lemon, and um, this grape tends to be used in wines that are meant to be drunk fairly young. So for like a white from Vino Vera, it's really appropriate because, you know, most of these wines are not designed to age, right? They're designed to be drunk pretty young or within the year of purchase. Okay, and then we have our last grape, which is the Trajadura. And so this one actually is originally from north of the Vino Verde region. And so on the very northern point of Portugal, but they do also grow it in Vino Verde now. And this tends to yield wines that have a lower acidity and a higher alcoholic content than your other classic Vino Verde grapes, which again, makes it a great candidate for blending. So what we see from these three grapes is they're blended together to really create a wine that is balanced. Um, that's going to have a sense of um, a good sense of acidity that we would associate with a white wine from the region that's going to have some really nice fruit. So the Trajadura tends to give off a little bit more of the summer stone fruits like peach and apricot, orange blossom, things like that. So it's going to have fruit, it's going to have some floral elements, and it's also going to have of that minerality. So that's what's in our glass. So you said you had tasted in this area of Portugal. Maybe that's the next place we have to go instead of going back to Spain. Uh, what can you tell me about it? So you would love it. It is Portugal is, northern Portugal in particular, is beautiful. It is super fucking chill. The food is delicious. And you can eat and drink like a queen there for very little money. 
Like, it's fantastic. And so Vino Verde, it's a small region in northern Portugal, and it's actually known for its super value wines. And they do produce whites, reds, and rosés. They tend to be wines that, you know, have a good punch of acidity and a little subtle carbonation to them. Um, you're going to find that these wines have an effervescence to them, even the reds. Uh, they also tend, for the most part, to be on the lower end of the ABV scale. So this makes them great wines for easy drinking. You know, whether it's summer and kind of warmer climates or whether, you know, you you, you don't want to go hard that night. You just want to kind of enjoy a nice refreshing glass. For our listener who asked the brunch question, Vino Verde wines work great earlier in the day, too. So this would be a great brunch or lunch and wine that you could serve. So that's kind of the region in a nutshell. Um, the name, because I know Anne loves all the details about names, Vino Verde actually means literally green wine in Portuguese. And it refers to the history of this region, the style of winemaking. And so it refers to wine that originated in the Minho province, which is located in the far north of the country. And that was kind of the where the winemaking processes began there in Portugal. And then the modern day Vino Verde region, or what we now know as that Vino Verde region or appellation, um, was originally designated in 1908. And it includes that old province plus adjacent areas to the south. So when they got the designation, the formal designation, they were really able to expand the region. And as we know from previous episodes, that then expands what you're able to grow and how you're able to grow it, right? Because you can incorporate more varietals, you can incorporate more growing styles based on the climate, slope, aspect, all of that good stuff. So so Vino Verde, Vino Verde refers to the region, not the kind of wine? Vino Verde refers not the, yeah, to the grape, region. kind of grape? Not the kind of grape. It refers to the, the region and style of wine. I think I was just assuming that like green wine was like the Portuguese way of saying white wine. So it's really interesting to know that that's not the case. See, we learned something new every episode. Uh, (laughs) We've got the naming. We predominantly see granite soils. And yeah, you've got, we start from like kind of the the Portuguese-Spanish border in the north and kind of extends all the way down to the Atlantic Ocean um, where it meets with the city of, uh, Porto, right, where which is really famous for port wine production. So today, um, this region now has primarily smaller growers. You don't see a ton of big producers, and that's why it's a little bit harder to find these wines stateside. But in total, there are over 20,000 people producing wine in the region. And again, most of that, though, stays domestic in Portugal and isn't for export. So the question is, why is it so cheap? Uh, and this is kind of sad. Like I kind of wanted to give this a, a cheers too, but you know, we talk about how everything's kind of connected. And so in Anne's jeers for climate change, you know, all of those external factors, climate economy, um, the pandemic, for example, all of those have an influence on the wine how it's produced, and what ends up in in the bottle and your glass. So 
you know, Portugal's economy um, really suffered from the global economic downturn in, in 2009, even more so than any other Western European nation. So land and labor prices just plummeted. You know, austerity programs were still in place. The unemployment rate, especially for people under 30, was still exceptionally high. And so, you know, part of that is there's opportunity then for, you know, the growth and development in agriculture, but also you've got to be able to price products at a a place that people, local people can afford to, to purchase them. So that's not so great. Um, On a positive note, though, of all the recent investments in the wine industry, you know, has really risen the region's popularity abroad. So winemakers have been really savvy about their marketing, about their export processes, and this has provided a bit of a boost to the nation as a whole and has provided, you know, more jobs and all of that good stuff. So we're hoping to see their industry continue to grow um, in the next couple of years. So drink this wine, do your part. Yeah, do your part. So, and then just, uh, I'm trying to think of what we, do we need all this shit about the Romans? There were some Romans, you guys. <laughs> they liked wine. <laughs> they took over a lot of places. They were the original colonialists. Yeah, and they took winemaking all over the place with them. So here we are. Let's see. Okay, so when we talk about, let's talk a little bit about their export practices since I, I brought it up. I think one of the key things for us to know is that this is an extremely old wine producing region and country. And so the Romans made reference to the vines in this area and a record exists of a winery being donated to a convent in the region in 870 AD. So they've been drink they've been making and drinking wine for a really long time. And then we suspect, well not Anne and I, I'm just I'm just reporting what the experts know. Um that Vino Vera may have been exported in the 12th century for the first time to England, Germany, and Flanders. So it looks like not only have they been making wine, but they've been exporting it for quite some time as well. So now we are lucky enough to be able to mosey on down to our own local bodega or have a really good friend slash podcast partner who moseys to their local bodega and then sends you a delicious bottle of wine. And now here we are. So let's talk a little bit about the winemaker. There wasn't a lot of information that I could find that was in English. I don't read Portuguese. And I didn't have time to translate. So uh, Sol Real is is what's on the label. Um, I did find out, though, that this particular wine is kind of the, um, I don't want to say bargain label. What's the word I'm looking for? The Say bargain label. Okay. This is our 10 under 10. It's the bargain, All right. the bargain basement wine. Fine. So this is like the bargain label of a very recognized winemaker named Carlos Teixeira, I'm going to say, who's from um, Quinta da Lixa in Portugal. So he's a 
very well-renowned winemaker there. He produces some of the best um, wines in the country. But this, with this label, he's also become known as producing some of the best value wines in, in the Vino Verde region. And so this is from like his smaller house or winery that he has. So I thought that that was kind of cool that, you know, there you have high end win- winemakers who are also making wines. So they're much more accessible. You know, I thought that having a label like that was really smart on his part. And so that's all I could find out though, about this particular vineyard. What about what they do to the wine before it goes in the bottle? One of the things you're going to notice with this wine is that slight effervescence to the wine. And so when you pour it, it's going to look a little fizzy. Not, you know, it's not going to be anything crazy like you're pouring a sparkling wine. It's not going to have the same like bubble streams coming up. But there is going to be some noticeable carbonation. I'm looking at my glass right now and there are still like some bubbles congregating on the sides of the glass. Every now and again, one like floats up to the surface. Um, So you do see that you will see that in your glass. Your wine is fine. But the slight effervescence tends to uh, used to come from like malolactic fermentation taking place in the bottle. So this is part of the winemaking process where the wine is fermenting in the bottle. And in winemaking, this is usually being considered a wine fault. But in this region, Vino Verde, producers found that their consumers really liked that slight fizzy nature to the wine, but they didn't want the wine to go bad. So they had to figure out a way to give the wine a sense of clarity, make sure that there really wasn't sediment in it, and also still have that light effervescence. So today what you see is um, most producers in Vino Verde, unless they're natural producers and are still doing that bottle fermentation like you would see in a pet nat, tend to add this like little light sparkle by adding a little bit of artificial carbonation to the bottles. So it is purposeful that you're seeing that, but it's, it's also for the most part not natural. It's really a flavor body additive rather than, you know, something that's taking place during that winemaking process. I am definitely one of those consumers that likes the fizzy nature. So I, I wasn't expecting I'm that. I'm surprised you don't drink this shit all the time. I really am. <laughs> well, I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting that with, um, with this wine. And so finding out that it's got just that little, that little extra fizz is really exciting for me. It's kind of reminiscent of the Chocolina that we drank. Like, what was that? Episode three, episode four, um, out of the Basque region in Spain. Mm-hmm. But this one, I would say, even has more of a fizz to it. Yeah. All right. So let's, are we ready to give this sucker a taste and see what we think well actually i guess we need to do some other stuff before we just dive right in sorry guys i've had a really really long 24 hours ready just to stick a straw in this bottle and go for it drea you can you can just dive right in but yeah for for people drinking along at home um this is talk about the color it's very very pale i mean when i poured it i was like is this water colored and it's not like it's not completely transparent but it is incredibly pale yeah it's a really pale lemon lime yellow so 
one of the things you'll notice, like this is actually a really good wine candidate to do that white paper tasting test where you hold up your glass and you tilt it up against a white solid surface because then you're going to see the true color of the wine. It does have a, a nice kind of lime green sheen to it almost. And so you can definitely see why they refer to it as a green wine. But yeah, the color is, I would say the color is festive though. It, it looks like summer in a glass. It's festive. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like that, that green is like, like you called it lime. I think you could say like a very fresh spring grass, I think mm-hmm. would, would probably fit. Very beautiful. So let's take a whiff. And what are you getting on the nose in this glass? This is going to be a bold move for me to say. I like this. I love a bold I feel like there might be some minerality in this. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there's like a little bit of sea salt. I love that. I mean, grass again. Like, I I think there's that like fresh grass. Okay. So I'm also getting, in terms of fruit, I'm going to say some lime, pear, apricot. I'm getting almost like a white peach. Like yeah. not not a yellow peach, not a really bright, strong peach, but something much more subtle. Yeah, white peach, maybe some nectarine. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely some floral notes. I can't tell you if it smells like a laurel flower because I don't know what a laurel flower smells like. I'm just going to say it does, though, for the sake of, you know, consistency. I mean, probably someone who knows what they're talking about named it this for fair, a reason. That's fair. Okay, so... Yeah, let's give this a let's give this a, a taste. You ready? I'm ready. Busy. Yeah, I think if I had to say my favorite feature of wine when there's that effervescence or that fizz, I'm a happy camper. This is such an easy drinker. I don't know if you ever ate this as a snack when you were a kid, but like apple slices with some sea salt. Yep. Yep. Just it reminds me of like that snack where you get that salty finish but there's that nice fruit reads a little bit more pear than apple to me but maybe like a mix between a pear and a granny smith like a green apple because there is that nice brightness it's got good acid to it and so this is a really nice summer wine i'm definitely getting granny smith apple over here yeah granny smith apple some pear little bit of like lemon. There's definitely some earthiness to it too, though, which is nice. Maybe I'm getting more of the dirt and less of the the grass, which is fine by me. But you know, that that granite soil composition is definitely reads out in terms of the the minerality that you're tasting in the wine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is a for sure a summer sipper. And I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out what this floral note that I'm getting is I keep thinking of gardenia but I feel like gardenia is much stronger than than what I'm getting here if someone's a florist or a what are are people who study flowers called I was gonna say herbivore I was florist but that's not not right if you're a florist (laughs) or an herbivore both of these are wrong just FYI but there's there's some floral notes to this wine so but okay here's the bottom line with with the tasting of what's in the glass, I think. For the price point, this this $9 bottle of wine that we have presented to all of you, it is relatively complex. There's a lot going on. Um, it changes on the palate. It has strong acid. It mellows out as you're drinking it. It's got minerality. It's got fruit. It's got flowers. It's got different types of fruit. 
So everything from kind of underripe early summer stone fruits to, to heavier citrus fruits, they're all in this glass. And the finish is long. I mean, it does linger. And that's where I'm getting more of those floral notes is in the finish. So it's kind of like acid, fruit, minerality, floral finish. That's that's the that's the summer Coney Island like ride that I'm on right now. Put another way, it's really <laughs> nice. Put another way, I like this wine. <laughs> it's really good. You know, I mean, for our, for our tenth episode, I feel like you had to have some form of I taste alcohol. So yeah, this is great. <laughs> But this is a wine like this is a wine where I think if you were needing to take this to significant others, maybe to your boss again, like we talked about before, this is a wine that could stand up. I mean, it's a good wine. Yeah, I think like summer gatherings, barbecues, summer birthdays, it would go great with something like that. You know, it's it is definitely a, a summer food friendly wine too. So maybe we should talk a little bit about some pairings. But before we get into what we think you should do, I just wanted to share kind of the Portuguese way of pairing. So all over Portugal, um, seafood is really the dominant cuisine. You know, they have their the entire country of Portugal essentially has coastline. So seafood is really, really important to the Portuguese diet, especially meaty white fish. So um, bacalao, which is cod, and they prepare it in all sorts of different ways. When I was there, one of the most amazing things I ate was a very common uh, street food. They're like these little cod and potato croquettes and or croquetas, and they're just delicious. And they deep fry them and they serve it with a glass of wine and they are fantastic. So you see a lot of uh, meaty white fish. You see a lot of like creamy rice dishes. And so because of the high acidity in these wines, it really makes them ideal for pairing with seafood uh, rich sauces and fried foods. The Portuguese like some fried foods too. You'll also see like a lot of potato dishes that are very popular that go well with these wines. So I think that it's a very food pairing friendly wine, but I'd love to hear what you're going to have this wine with. So I think the first thing, the first thing that I thought of with this is, again, kind of going with that fruit, really enhancing the fruit flavors in here. I would love to serve this with like a summer fruit salad. So I'm thinking something with like watermelon, again, white peaches, um, maybe some blueberries mixed in there. Very simple, very clean, very fresh. You know, maybe add some mint leaves, decorate it with some lime juice. I think that would really play really nicely together and pair really well. I think when when you started talking about the bacalao and things like that, my mind went to artichokes. And I don't know if you ever went to that Spanish restaurant that was in Hillcrest for a while, but they served these, uh, on fourth street. Yeah. They, (laughs) they served these fried artichokes that I still sometimes dream of possibly just because like, how do you go wrong with art fried artichokes? You don't. That I think would be, but even if you did like a whole, a whole artichoke, 
I think that would pair really beautifully with this. Make yourself a nice aioli. It's going to be gorgeous. Yeah, I love I love that idea. I think this would be so so this wine is, uh, you know, does have a high acidity to it. And I have two kind of approaches for food pairings with a high acid wine like this. One is to kind of pick something that's going to mellow it a little bit. So I would love to do this with like a summer pasta dish, Mm. you know, something that had maybe roasted artichokes and fresh corn, peas, you know, mint, uh, lightly dressed with just olive oil and lemon juice. So I think that that could be a really nice dish. Um, in addition to seafood. But the other approach to pairing a high acid wine is to match its acidity, to kind of complement it. So high acid with high acid. And so I would, you know, sticking with the seafood theme, love to try this out with like ceviche and just something that's going to match that flavor intensity. I also think it would be really good with like sushi too. Or a poke bowl, like with some with a chili sauce. I don't know, Anne. You may have to send me a case of this because I kind of want to drink a bunch of. Pretty it. great. <laughs> it is pretty great. I'm not mad. No, you shouldn't be. You have done well. You have done well for our tenth anniversary. So, what would be a situation that you would pair this wine with? I think you mean what's the situation I'm gonna pair this wine with, which is when I go to Palm Springs. In a couple weeks, I'm going to chill a bottle of white Portuguese wine and dump it into my hydro flask and lay out by the pool. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> no, I, I think this is a great, like, summer fun wine. You know, whether you're chilling out by a pool or you're going to a picnic or you're going to a barbecue uh, or you're just eating outside, you know, I think it's a it's a great wine for that. I love that the ABV is so low. So it's not gonna sit too heavy. It's it's not gonna, you know, detract from what you're doing. It's not hopefully gonna turn you into a fool. And so I would definitely say, this is something I want to drink outdoors. This is not for cozing up on the sofa after a long day at work. This is for let's get outside, let's get some sunshine, let's work on our tan, let's do all that fun stuff. That is exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I want to be outside with That's exactly what I was thinking. I was imagining going to Central Park and lying in the grass and just, you know, luxuriating, oh, yeah. watching the clouds go by. Even a little bit closer, we have our building has a rooftop deck. So just going sneaking up there for a while and getting some sun, drinking a glass of this wine, can't be mad. No, it's been it's really great for the uh, the great outdoors. Last summer we went camping, we went canoeing. This would be a great wine for canoeing, just to like sit out in the water, dip your toes in. Ooh, yeah. Again, lots of sunshine, drink this wine. Yeah, I think sunshine is the key here. So what are you, well, well, I am lying by the pool in Palm Springs, and you are lying in a canoe on a lake or in the middle of Central Park. What what are we reading? What are you reading while you're- I am reading some trashy romance. I'm talking- Yes! Cheap paper, bend the covers, embossed name on the cover, like 
I'm trying to decide if it should be a contemporary romance or a historical. I don't know that it matters, but like get yourself some. Oh, I think we all know you want it to be a historical one. Like there better be some like exposed bosoms and corsets on that. What I want and what the wine calls for are two different things. I think this this feels like slightly more contemporary to me, but maybe I just haven't found the right historical time period. For my bodice ripping. So I did recently read a fun romance novel. And it's by a writer named Kat Sebastian. Who writes... um, They are primarily period romances. But they tend to really focus on queer and non-binary characters. So the one I happened to read was about a woman who lived as a man who falls in love with a marquee and the marquee falls in love with her while she's presenting as a man. And then he, the marquee finds out she's a woman and then he's like, whatever it cool. I can do this too. So it was pretty great. I have to say it was pretty great. The other thing. Oh, okay. I'll save this for the, what we're watching. What are we watching? On the what are we watching? So I've got an answer. <laughs> I mean, there's a book too, but actually I really love the series. Um, and I, I really hope they're coming back for a second season. It's on HBO and it's called Gentleman Jack. And it's about a like an aristocratic lesbian in period England. And it's it's super good. It's really, really good. So I and there is a novel as well. And I think it's based on a true story. So there might even be like some historical nonfiction works too. Um, but I would, I would say that that fits our theme here. I really thought you were going to say Bridgerton. Oh, Jesus. How, I'm not that trashy. I am. <laughs> I haven't actually seen Bridgerton though. So I can't, ha- I can't say that one. You're like, I just know. I just know in my heart. <laughs> it feels right. The heart wants what it wants. All right. Well, it does. It does. So what does the heart want to listen to? The heart wants some jazz. The heart wants some jazz with a female vocalist. I don't know that I have anything more specific than that, but that just feels feels right to me. I feel like the last thing I offered up with was Esperanza Spalding. And it's not wrong here. I feel like she may have yeah. like it's it's not wrong. It's not wrong. You know, I'm gonna just like do a quick Spotify search and like find some like mambo music, you know, some, something that's peppy, something that's fun, something that's a little bit throwback. And then finally, who are you sharing this bottle with? Your Who is our celebrity wine crush of the week? They are not celebrities, but I would really love to drink this wine with some of my cousins. I think this would be a really fun sit out on the back porch, get silly, drink this wine. That's Sweet. I'll keep thinking about actual famous people. I uh, are wait, does it have to be a celebrity? Can it be fictional characters too? Well, who's your what fictional would you character? Go? Who would you drink this fictional character uh, with? I I mean, since we had that Harry Potter question earlier and I watched all those fucking movies this weekend, I want to drink this wine with Snape because he is dark and brooding and needs to just lighten the fuck up a little bit. <laughs> so I feel like he might appreciate this that's so funny i went immediately to luna lovegood oh luna 
Yeah. Okay. We need to do an entire Harry Potter themed episode. This is happening. It's a thing. Thank you for submitting that question. So hopefully this gives you some ideas of ways to cool off and enjoy your summer with this delicious wine from Sol Real. Highly recommend it. What are we drinking next time, Drea? So we're kind of sticking with our summer vibes theme. Also, it's real hot where both of us are. Uh, so we, you know, we're trying to keep it light, keep it fun, and keep it budget friendly. So we've got another episode um, where we've picked some more economical wines and definitely wines that are portable and ready to share because we are doing a canned wine special. And canned wine has been around for some time, but got really popular during the pandemic. So we are picking two. Uh, We each sourced one can. So, Anne, do you want to tell us what your pick was? So my pick, my pick is the Underwood Sparkling Rosé. It comes in a very beautiful pale pink can. Uh, And I like basically every can of Underwood that I've had. So I'm looking forward to it. Did you pick this particular can based on the color label? I really wanted us to drink the can that had the leopard on it, but you weren't down. So here we are with the rosé. Here we are. And I picked uh, the Ajo Sparkling Rosé that's coming out of Navarra, Spain. So canned alcohol, it's not just for Americans anymore. So those will be our two. You can find Underwood pretty much everywhere. It's it's super readily available. Also, you can definitely find at wine stores nationwide. They each retail for about 6 or $7 a piece. So pick up a can, pack a picnic, and we will absolutely see you the next episode. In the meantime, please follow us online. You can follow us on Instagram at Two Girls and a Grape Pod. That's two T W O, all spelled out. Girls and a Grape Pod. You can also, I say this every episode, I don't know why. You can tweet at me at Two Girls and a Grape, the number two. Or you could always email us at Two Girls and a Grape Pod at gmail.com. I promise at some point someone is checking that email address. Maybe. And uh, if you didn't get your question answered this time, keep them coming. We will happily answer questions in future episodes. And if you have something that you want us to try or explore or a shenanigan you would like us to participate in, slide into those DMs and maybe we'll add it to our wine wheel. Yep. We'd love to hear from you. So thank you so much and salute. salute.